morning, Brook Church. Again, it's great to be here. Uh, so uh, grateful that uh, Mike asked me to come and, and to be able to share with you again. I, I know uh, he is blessed uh, by get, being able to have this month off each summer uh, just to be refreshed. And so, man, you're going to get it next week, I'm sure. He's going to bring it strong. Uh, one, one, of my, one of the things I learned on uh, one of my early uh, business startups, I had somebody tell me that it usually takes twice as long as you think and costs twice as much. Now, what I experienced in my uh, life, though, I, I think it's because I tend to be more optimistic. So even when I'm trying to be conservative in my estimates when I'm starting something, uh, I'm usually uh, far uh, beyond even where it should be. And so mine usually take at least three times as long. So I shouldn't be surprised this week when I, uh, we, as a family, we were moving. Uh, we lived in the Heights about three years. Before that, I lived in Friendswood for 20, uh, but we're going to be moving up towards Cyprus. And so uh, I decided, you know, like, every kid ought to have the experience of moving, right? Moving their own stuff. And so we hadn't, I, I did this early on in our marriage. I haven't done it for a long time when we moved. But uh, I've got my three oldest boys are, are 18, 16, and 14. So my two oldest boys are almost my size, so I thought, we can knock this out. So I told my wife, literally, we can do this in two days. So I went down, ridden my truck for 24 hours, because I knew we could do it. Uh, yeah, we were, I had the truck yesterday. So I uh, finally turned it in after five days, and we're going back to the house tomorrow. So it'll be a week. My wife said it's going to take two weeks. She was wrong, uh, but I was uh, wrong uh, threefold. So, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, physically uh, feeling it, but uh, so excited uh, to be able to be with you. Um, as I pray through, you know, what God might have me uh, share with you, I, I was really led to Philippians 4. And this whole area of understanding the peace of God. You know, we live in a world, and it kind of came out of, uh, I think God birthed it this week, because, you know, there are certain things that are stressful in life, but I didn't realize moving actually really, I, I'm so optimistic. I thought it was just going to be a breeze. It has been unbelievably stressful and uh, short tempers and physically exhausting. I mean, it's been one of those weeks of just, man, there's so much that, uh, stress that can become. And are we ever going to finish this sort of thing? And, and life is like that. You know, there's so many statistics out there that talk about how much we as a society, as a people, we worry. Uh, they say that on average, Americans worry about an hour and 50 minutes every single day. An hour and, is that crazy? Uh, hour and 50 minutes per day, we worry. 28 days per year, or five entire years in your adult life will be dedicated to worry. And yet when we come to the scripture, one of the things that becomes real clear is that, man, God doesn't want us to worry. The scripture talks about not having anxiety being able to trust in God and see God do things, but that we could walk in the freedom of his peace. And we're going to see his peace is is beyond just not worrying. It's even, it's more complete than that. But the reality is God wants us to not worry, to not carry the burden of anxiety in our lives. And so I want to unpack that. I want us to look at that. And literally I, I entitled the message, Unpacking God's Peace. And it was kind of in uh, just a, because my whole week of packing, I thought it'd be fun to unpack actually something. So we're going to unpack this whole idea of God's peace. And so we're going to look in Philippians chapter 4. The, the book of Philippians was written by Paul. It's one of his prison epistles. Philippi, before Paul ever went there, 
uh, was somewhere in the 40 AD is when he went and planted the church there. It was an ancient, it was a famous city, 400 years old, even when Paul went there. But Paul came to Philippi out of a vision. He didn't want to go into Macedonia. He didn't want to go in that part of, of, of the world. But God gave him a vision. This Macedonian man was calling to him, come and help us. And Paul, loving Jesus, wanting to be obedient to him, went. And the first city he landed in was Philippi. And I'm not going to tell you all the stories because you guys actually went. I, I didn't realize what this clock was for, and it, it's actually my timer. So I, I realized how much time I had. So I went 10 minutes over last time, so we're, we're going to do better. So I'm not going to tell you all the stories of Philippi, but there, there's some great ones of what God did there to birth the first church in Europe in Philippi. And Paul spent an incredible amount of time with them, loved them, has a heart for Philippi. And so that letter flows out of that kind of experience. And Paul wrote the letter specifically for several reasons, but one of them was that there were some issues going on in the church. There was conflict happening. And we pick it up first in in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and I don't have this on the screen, but I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Being one in spirit and one mind. So Paul's saying, man, if you are, have any encouragement in Christ, if you are uh, committed and united in him in love, man, love each other. Get along. Be one. And then we move into chapter 4, and we recognize there, there is an issue specifically. And he, he gives the name. I told the first service, I'm going to pronounce these uh, Greek names of these two ladies and I had my 10-year-old yesterday when we were driving actually look it up on my phone and gave me the exact correct pronunciation, but I can't remember it this morning. So we're going to just read it really fast. If you're like me, I say things really fast if I don't know the, how to really pronounce it. But anyway, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea, and I plead with, what do you think? Yeah, S, Sintichi, uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the case of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And so these ladies have some kind of conflict going on, and his urging, his encouraging is for them to get along. And then in verse 4, we really get to the meat of this message, where he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The Bible describes three aspects of peace that relate to God as you read through the scriptures. 
One is this idea is of peace from God. And if you read any of the epistles that Paul wrote, he often did a kind of an introduction, a greeting. And within that greeting, he would use this, this, these, this wording, the peace from God. He would say in Philippians, praise or grace to you and peace from God. And it was a reminder to his, the people he was writing of God's grace and the peace that he gave and that it always comes from him. So there's a peace from God. And then the scriptures talk about also this idea that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, that we have a right relationship with God. Our sins can be forgiven because of his death on the cross. When he becomes our king and we follow him and we believe in him and we say, God, we want you to be Lord. We want you to be king of our lives and we give our lives to him. The Bible says that we have a a new relationship, a new covenant, that we have peace with him. We're forgiven. So there's this idea of peace with God. But thirdly, there, there is what he describes here, and he uses the word, the peace of God. And the Greek word that is used specifically in those places means this, to join, to tie together into a whole. The peace of God is this idea to join, to become whole, to be joined with God, to, to become whole, to become complete. I really love the Hebrew word. It's the word shalom. You've heard the word shalom. That's a Hebrew word for peace. It means wholeness, completeness, perfectness, and fullness. Again, it carries this idea of the peace of God is the wholeness, the completeness of the Lord. It's literally the kingdom of God. It's this idea that when we have the peace of God, it is his will being done. And so that, that's why when we talk about the peace of God or experiencing his peace, we, we've got to understand the, def, the, the understanding that it, it is, is, is not just the absence of worry and anxiety. That, that's one of the side effects. The reality, when we experience the peace of God in our lives, it, we are no longer going to have to be guided and, and, and allow that to consume us. But it's also this idea, it is this confidence that God is going to complete, this wholeness that comes in him. That all the things that we worried about are not out of his control, right? It's this confidence, the peace of God is that, man, we know God has it handled. And so whatever it is welling up, the things that you've, maybe it's failures from the past that just weigh on you, man, that you're never going to get past those things. Maybe it's situations in your life right now that you're going through that are just, it's hard. And you're, you're not sure what the outcome's going to look like. Or things in the future you're just afraid of, questions that you have. You know, if we had time, we could go around the room and begin to describe what are the things that worry us most, that cause the most anxiety, that create uh, the troubles in your life. But for you, what are those? You know, maybe list three or four things in you. Part of experience of the shalom, the peace of God in your life, is not only that you can be freed from the worry, but it's, it's, the, it's that confidence. And it's actually the result, the result is that you don't worry about it anymore that God has it under control, that wholeness, that completeness, that he, his shalom, when we begin to experience it in his cleanliness, God brings those things together, makes it complete. We see him answer prayers and move in those places. Um, and so as we look at the scripture specifically, I, I want to talk about this morning, how do you know the, God, the power of God's peace? And we're going to look at five things through the scripture, five real simple principles that we can apply to kind of where we are. I think the first thing that we see there in verse 4 is this idea 
that if we're going to experience the power of God's peace, his shalom in our lives, we need to rejoice in our king continuously. You need to rejoice in your king continuously. The word rejoice literally means to delight in God's grace, his undeserved favor. In verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, Always do it. Always do it. So the, the, the promise, the, the, the thing is that we, He desires us to rejoice in Him, to be confident in Him. And, and I like to separate this. It's, it's beyond just an intellectual consent, it's beyond that. It, it, is, it comes through encounters with God. The authentic rejoicing, where we really delight in God's grace, it comes through encounters. It always has. You know, I came to faith uh, at the first service when I was nine years old. Um, when I became a, when I was in high, junior high and especially in high school, I became a more committed disciple as I really came to that place of, of seeking God with my whole heart. But I, I think as best I understood as a nine-year-old, and I grew up in a Christian home. I, my mom came to faith in Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade, San Francisco, California, when she was pregnant with me. And so all the time growing up. So intellectually, I, I, I have known the stories, and I have belief, deep belief in who God is, and what he can do. But the reality is every day I make choices. Am I seeking him? Am I putting my life in the place where I am encountering him? Am I desiring to follow him? And, and I, I'm having those moments where I'm encountering the Lord. And not every day, but in different ways. He's speaking. He's challenging. And we have this ongoing relationship. It is amazing is in those kind of times that, that it's much easier to rejoice than in those seasons of life where you're, you're just going on cruise control you know, and I still believe the same things, but, man, I'm walking in my power and I'm walking in my ways. And, and it's, it's God's here, and I, and I believe all the same things, but I'm not encountering him. Man, throughout history, throughout the pages of Scripture, it was those God encounters that shook people's lives to the place where they truly could rejoice and delight in his grace. It happened for Paul on the Damascus Road experience where he encountered God in such a powerful way. You know, some of the stories out of, out of Philippi, one was as when, when Paul first got there, there was this demon-possessed girl that uh, was a, she was a slave, and she made her owners a ton of money because she could predict the future. And she started following Paul and Silas around and was telling people who they were, that they were followers of Jesus, and, and uh, uh, drawing great attention to them. Finally, Paul got so tired of her mouthing off behind them and talking, that he cast the demon out of her and she could no longer uh, uh, predict the future. And so they throw them in jail. And it was within jail, while they were in jail, that God caused an earthquake to happen. All the, the doors were opened. And the jailer was about to kill himself because if anybody escaped, it was on him and he would have been executed. But all of them were there. And if you remember the story, he ends up taking them home, Paul and Silas, bandaging their wounds, feeding them, and as they're doing that, those guys, Paul begins to tell the story of Jesus. And, and the scripture tells us that the jailer and his whole household came to faith and were baptized. And again, for the jailer, for his family, there was an encounter with Jesus. And he, over and over again, it's, it comes through these encounters with the Lord. 
And so when the scripture says that, that, man, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, it, it, it challenges us that, to rejoice in our king continuously. There is an intentionality that we have of, of encountering him, seeking him, desiring him every day. And so what that looks like for you, you know, uh, cultivating a life of prayer, cultivating a life of being in the scripture. Um, I found it helpful building mechanisms in my life, you know, of, of uh, you know, I'm going to try in the mornings. Uh, I, I try to spend at least uh, 15 minutes in the scripture, even on busy days, you know, and just making my, I mean, with phone apps, it makes it so easy. I mean, uh, there's a verse of the day and there's different things. So just beginning to build those habits. There's been different seasons where I, I commit to meeting with a group of men and we're, we're studying the scripture together. We're meeting you know, coming and being a part of worship, being a part of a small group, building those kind of mechanisms where you are seeking the Lord in community and, and, and with yourself and, and uh, you're putting yourself in a place, I think, of accounting the Lord and being truly able to rejoice in Him continuously. The second thing he speaks about is this idea that we need to love others generously. I know there's something about worry and anxiety when it begins to consume us, when we carry it, uh, when the focus is so much on ourselves. But there is something really powerful that God does when all of a sudden our attention becomes on others. In simple ways, maybe it's just your family or friends, but you're figuring out how can I love generously? How can I love in words? How can I speak blessing over people? I was thinking about that this morning. Man, I, that move, I don't think I spoke as much blessing over my kids and all their hard work uh, in comparison <laughs> to some of the, would you guys get up and do something? Stop wrestling in that back room again, you know? Stop tormenting your 10-year-old brother. Yeah, things like that. So I mean, how can I be, how can I encourage, how can I love generously? In verse 5, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That gentleness, that idea of compassion, of being considerate, being selfless. You know, we live in a self-focused world. And if we can learn to be selfless, um, there's something God powerfully does, I think, of, of giving us his peace, his shalom. And, and the truth is, if you begin to think of God's, the shalom as God's will being done, his kingdom coming, and we will love others generously, looking for ways that we can love them in Jesus' name, uh, we are extending his kingdom, his shalom, beyond ourselves, right? God allows us to be extenders of his peace, of his shalom to others. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Love others generously. The third thing we see here is that we can defeat anxiety through prayer. Through prayer. Um, specifically, when I, when I was here a few weeks ago, we, we talked about, we were talking about Joshua and the wall of Jericho and the things that God did in the midst of that that helped them to do that. And so we talked about overcoming our, our walls in our life. And, and one of them that I mentioned was this idea of uh, the... Um, um, weapon of worship, right? And I, I took it from a, another pastor who used that language. And specifically, you know, they, they, when they marched around the wall seven times on that last day, and then they let out a scream. They were just obedient. So we talked about that. That idea of scream, maybe it was that, 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 uh, the power of the weapon of worship communicating. And, and I felt like I really unpacked that in a weak way at the end. Uh, but for me, this scripture is a great picture of that. What is that weapon of worship? Prayer, man. Prayer is a weapon of worship in our lives to experience God's shalom, to be extensions of God's shalom, to overcome worry and anxiety in our life by prayer. And specifically, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every 
situation. It's a command. Do not be anxious. God says, do not do it. But instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. I, I, I picture in there all these different pieces of it. So prayer um, and thanksgiving, just this idea of praising God and thanking Him, acknowledging His goodness, acknowledging who He is. He's all-powerful, that He is good. Being specific and being broad, but just having that praise, having that thanksgiving as part of who we are. It's prayer. That's a weapon of worship. And he says, petitions and, and actually presenting every request in all situations that we're requesting petitions. So those things that are on your heart, those things you're struggling with, you give them to him. And so through this prayer, God says, we can experience his peace. Again, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the promise is verse 7, and the peace of God, the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding. We can't ever fully grasp it or get it or believe that God can give it to us or that he has given it to us. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is a weapon of worship. He says, do it. Don't be anxious, but pray. And the fourth thing, think on what is good. This is a daily discipline, just like what do we fill our minds with? What are we thinking about? What are we believing? Finally, brothers, in verse 8, it says, whatever's, and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever is good, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. You know, while we spend our time, and what we think about matters. And so what we fill, fill them with, who are we listening to? <laughs> who are we believing? What are we focused on? The power of being in the scripture. God fills our hearts and our minds with his truth. Um, I think in our, our day and age with social media, just recognizing it's so easy to be consumed and, it's easy to be hard on, on kids, but the reality, it's all of us. I mean, uh, I can look on Facebook, and I know for, for my kids, Facebook is not used hardly at all anymore, but for many of us, still is. And I, I mean, I've said it before, but I still, I, I got on social media to, to keep up with my kids, but then also, to, it's a great way to keep up with friends, but we can all tend to just put smoke up there, right? all these great things and pictures and all the time and just thinking, man, my life stinks compared to everybody else. Um, and the reality, we can focus so much on stuff and uh, things that aren't helpful. So God says, man, think on what is good. Evaluate what we're, we're focused on all the time. And then fifthly, and the last thing, is be obediently live for the king and his kingdom. Whatever you have learned in verse 9 or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. Discipleship is obedience. Authentic discipleship is always obedience. You always need to keep those things together. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, it means I'm seeking to be obedient to him. We're a disciple of whatever we're obedient to. 
And the scripture is real clear that uh, to, to, to know him is to follow him. To take up our cross and follow him is that Jesus, that, that's discipleship. To love him with all that we are. And I, I remember early on as a pastor, in some of our leadership training we were involved in, it, it, it said this fact that our knowledge is always, almost always beyond our obedience for most people. You know, what we know is far beyond what we obey, right? And so part of what he's saying here, man, Paul's saying, do what you know to do. What I've taught you, what I've shown you, do that, obedience. And again, the promise with that in verse nine, end of verse, second part of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. As we close, I, I'm wondering your life, uh, what are those things that create that kind of anxiety and worry? What are those places in, in maybe your relationships that aren't right? It's interesting when he talks about that gentleness that we're to show to each other, that selflessness. Uh, when we are anxious, right, when we're worried about things, how the first place, sometimes it's caused by our relationships, but how often when we are facing those we're experiencing that, that it affects our relationships. We're worried about whatever, our, our jobs, or we're just working hard and we're physically exhausted and our tempers are short and we feel an anxious and it comes out of our mouths. I mean, we hurt our relationships. And so in your life, how does this begin to work and what is God speaking into your heart? Um, what we know is that God desires us to experience his peace, his shalom. And he desires our lives to be an extension to see his shalom come to the lives of others and to our world. And this week, as you get to experience an amazing BBS, man, God's desire is that he would use the Brook Church to extend his shalom to this community and the lives of the children and their families that will be coming here. And that's part of my prayer for you this week. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And um, I want to just give you a minute as you contemplate the things that you've been carrying, would you give those things to the Lord and pray for his peace and pray for him to work in those areas and that you would trust him and experience that peace, that shalom in your life. Oh, Father, what a, what a gift to be with your people this morning and, uh, Lord, to recognize in a world where um, just statistically there's so many of us that worry becomes something that the enemy uses to discourage us, to deflate us, to steal the joy, to lessen our influence, to keep us from living the kind of life that, Lord, you have for us. And, and God, your promise is so clear in this scripture that that peace is available to us as we learn to look to you, to walk with you, to encounter you in real and significant ways. And Lord, that's my prayer for myself, for my family, and for every person that's here today, Lord. May we experience your peace as you come and encounter us, Lord, as you speak into our hearts, Lord. Use us, change us, help us to know you more and to love you more, Lord. Um, I thank you that in you there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is great hope. So, Lord, we hold on to you today, and we just praise you for who you are. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.